Cheers! Kampai! Salute! Gambe! Skull! Prost! Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the highly unplanned 20th episode of the Drunken Storytellers podcast. Mostly this is due to it being uh, the Mabinogion, and I'll be reading straight from uh, Lady Charlotte Guest's 1877 translation of this. So uh, I didn't really plan much, I just kind of got that version and uh, stuck it in some notes, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I have not even read it yet, or this version of it, I know the story well, so we'll see how it goes. Um, but as we're going back to that favourite place of mine, the Mabby, uh, which is from Wales, I have some Tiny Rebel 505 New England IPA and some Easy Living Session Pale, again from Tiny Rebel. Tiny Rebel are from Cardiff, or Newport, I think, actually. Let's have a look. Uh, yeah, Newport. They're from Newport. Very nice. Very nice beer. So I got the Easy Living because I, I thought it kind of fit with it, because... Um, if your name is Brenwyn, or your horse, or a man in a bag, uh, then in this tale, easy living is not something that's going to come easily to you. So, bit of, bit, bit of fun play there with the words and the names and stuff. First things first, going to have a drink. Mm. Rural Gothic Cults was absolutely amazing. I had such a great time there. Um, and I think, and I'm hoping my talk went down well, uh, and I did learn a lot of really cool things about cults from all the other speakers over the weekend. It was such a great experience. Just want to thank Howard Ingham for letting me actually give that presentation, and for Icy Sedgwick and some other people for badgering me to actually put the idea forward in the first place. Uh, also, secondly, the Vessing game that was planned uh, for this week, uh, 30th of July, is unfortunately going to have to be put back until August 13th. This is due to a case of COVID in one of the players, so unfortunately people's health is more important than the game, so we've taken the choice to uh, delay the game a couple of weeks so they can get better. Just in case anyone's out there, go get vaccinated. You, Yeah, go get vaccinated. Uh, everyone, yeah, everyone's still looking forward to the game, so it's still on, it's still going to happen, it's just we've had to um, obviously delay it for that reason. Uh, but... In response to that, I have managed to uh, cobble together very, very quickly a few people to play some Stranger Things-inspired fiasco instead on the 30th, so that could be quite fun. And I think it will be a bit of fiasco knowing the people who are going to be there. Um, and there's a few other things that are gonna that are in, in the works, um, but more on those as and when I kind of have more details on those. Lastly, a quick reminder that I am running the London Marathon, and it has been absolutely bloody scorching. Um, the last two weeks in Manchester so please do help me uh, because help me raise money for no man is an island because it's really unpleasant training in 30 degree heat uh, so all any any anything you can donate even if it's just like the the price of a cup of coffee would be fantastic because um, the no man is an island they are looking to co uh, to end five percent of cancers caused worldwide by HPV so really worthwhile cause there I feel Right, onwards to Wales. This is going to be a long one, as the tale seems to spread over many, many pages on my notes. So please do enjoy this. And uh, as always, with these things, I'm going to massively apologise for my atrocious pronunciation of Welsh. Mabinogion, the second branch. Branwen, the daughter of Lear. 
Bendigid Vran, the son of Lear, was the crowned king of this island, and he was exalted from the crown of London. And one afternoon, he was at Harlech in Arduid at his court, and he sat there upon the rock of Harlech, looking over the sea. And with him were his brother, Manawiddin, uh, the son of Lear, and his brothers by his mother's side, Nisian and Nevinisian, and many nobles likewise, as was fitting to see around the king. His two brothers by his mother's side were the sons of Eurysuid by his mother, and Penarden, the daughter of Beli, son of Managon. And one of these youths was a good youth, and of gentle nature, and would make peace between his kindred, and cause his family to be friends when there was wrath, when wrath was at the highest. And this one was Nisian. But the other would cause strife between his brothers, when they were the most at peace. And as they sat thus, they beheld thirteen ships coming from the south of Ireland, and making towards them. And they came with a swift motion, the wind behind them, and they neared rapidly. I see ships afar, said the king, coming swiftly towards the land. Command the men of the court that they equip themselves and go and learn their intent. So the men equipped themselves and went down towards the land, towards them. And when they saw the ships near, certain were they that they had never seen ships better furnished, beautiful flags of satin upon them. And behold, one of the ships outstripped the others, and they saw a shield lifted up above the side of the ship, and the point of the shield was upwards, in a token of peace. And the men drew near that they might hold converse. Then they put out boats and came towards the land, and they saluted their king. Now the king could hear them from the place where he was, upon the rock above their heads. Heaven prosper you, said he, and be ye welcome. To whom do these ships belong, and who is the chief amongst you? Lord, said they, Mathwick, king of Ireland, is here, and these ships belong to him. Wherefore comes he? asked the king, and where will he come to land? He is a suitor unto thee, Lord, said they, and he will not land unless he have his boon. And what may that be? inquired the king. He desires to ally himself with thee, Lord, said they, and he comes to ask Bradwin, the daughter of Lear, that, if it seem well to thee, the islands of the mighty may be leagued with Ireland, and both become more powerful. Verily, said he, let him come to land, and we will make counsel thereupon. And this answer was brought to Muthelwick. I will go willingly, said he. So he landed, and they received him joyfully, and great was the throng in the palace that night, between his hosts and those of the court. And the next day they took counsel, and they resolved to bestow Branwen upon Muthelwick. Now, she was one of the three chief ladies of the island, and she was the fairest damsel in the world. Because who gets to decide who a woman gets to marry, other than the king uh, or her brother, and her, this random dude who's just turned up from another country? Yeah, Oi, sister, go marry him, because you don't get a say in it. Stuff you. As is the want of these oldie time uh, stories. And we know that uh, women get a raw deal. Anyway, and they fixed upon Aberfrey as the place where she, would, she should become his bride. And they went thence, and towards Aberfrey the hosts proceeded. Matholoch, and his host in the ships, Bendigade Vran, and his host by land. And they cut until they came to Aberfrey. And at Aberfrey they began the feasts and sat down, and thus sat they, the king of the islands of the mighty, and Manachwyddin, 
the son of Lear on one side and Matholoc on the other side, and Branwen, the daughter of Lear, beside him. And they were not within within a house, but under tents. No house could ever contain Bendigrade Vran. And they began the banquet, and caroused and discoursed, and when it was more pleasing to them to sleep than to carouse, they went to rest. And that night Branwen became Atholuk's bride. And if you don't know what that means, children, they got to it giggity, giggity, giggity. And next day they arose, and all they of the court and the officers, officers began to equip and to arrange the horses and the attendants, and they ranged them in order as far as the sea. And now we get the arsehole turning up. One itchy head. Yeah. And behold, one day, Evanician, the quarrelsome man of whom it is spoken above, came by chance into the place, where the horses of Mathwalak were, and asked who horses they might be. They are the horses of Mathwalak, king of Ireland, who is married to Branwen, thy sister. His horses are they. And is it thus that they have done with a maiden such as she, and moreover my sister, bestowing her without my consent? They could have offered no greater insult to me than this, said he. And thereupon he rushed under the horses and cut off their lips of their teeth, and their ears close to their heads, and their tails close to their backs. And wherever he could clutch their eyelids, he cut them to the very bone, and he disfigured the horses and rendered them useless. As I said, here comes Mr. Rassol. Then they came with these fine tidings unto Matholuk, saying that the horses were disfigured and injured so that not one of them could ever be of any use again. Verily, Lord, said one, it was an insult unto thee, and as such was it meant of a truth. It is a marvel to me that if they desired to insult me, they should have given me a maiden of such high rank and so much beloved of her kindred as they have done. Lord, said another, thou seest that thus is tis, and there is nothing for thee to do but to go to thy ships. And thereupon towards his ships he set out. And tidings came to Bendigate Vran that Mathwalak was quitting the court without asking leave and messengers were sent to inquire of him, wherefore he do so. And the messengers that went were Idic, the son of Anahwed, and Hevidhir. And these overtook him and asked of him what he designed to do, and wherefore he went forth. Of a truth, said he, if I had known I had not come hither, I have been altogether insulted. No one had ever worse treatment than I have had here. But one thing surprises me above all. What is that? asked they. That Branwen, the daughter of Lear, one of the three chief ladies of this island, and the daughter of the king of the island of the mighty, should have been given me as my bride, and that after that I should have been insulted. And I marvel that the insult was not done me before they had bestowed upon me a maiden so exalted as she. Truly, Lord, it was not the will of any that are of the court, said they, nor of any that are of the council, that thou shouldest have received this insult. And as thou hast been insulted, the dishonour is greater unto Bendigidvran than unto thee. Verily, said he, I think so. Nevertheless, he cannot recall the insult. Um, I'm not quite sure how... Uh, 
boinking the king's daughter and then having the gift that you were given slightly disfigured is an insult. Don't quite get how 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 this is such a vast and massive insult. But then these people have a weird sense of honour in these times, don't they? So, yeah, apparently apparently having horses disfigured is like one of the biggest honours you can dishonours you can have. I suppose horses were quite valuable stock in those days, weren't they? So, meh. Um, you still got you still got a wife out of it. Apparently, one of the best wives he could have had. So, eh, well, he's going to bugger off and steal her anyway. These men returned with that answer to the place where Bendigudvran was, and they told him what reply Mathwalloch had given him. Truly, said he, there are no means by which we may prevent his going away at enmity with us. That we will not take. Well, Lord said they. Send after him another embassy. I will do so, said he. Arise, Manoquidan, son of Lear, and Hevid here, and Unic Glaixid, and go after him, and tell him that he shall have a sound horse for every one that had been injured. And beside that, as an atonement for the insult, he shall have a staff of silver, as large and as tall as himself, and a plate of gold of the breadth of his face and show unto him who it was that did this, and that it was done against my will, but that he who did it is my brother by my mother's side, and therefore it would be hard for me to put him to death, and let him come and meet me, as said he, and we will make peace in any way he may desire. So, Bendy Ridran has... has not only give, lost, lost his daughter, he's lost a load of horses that are going to be crippled, and now he's got to give a load of silver and gold. This just seems like a really rough deal. All because one man got pissed that his sister got handed away. Yeah, Venetian, you're a prick. The embassy went after Mothaluk and told him all these sayings in a friendly manner, and he listened thereunto. Men, said he, I will take counsel. So to the council he went, and in the council they considered that if they should refuse this, they were likely to have more shame rather than to obtain so great an atonement. They resolved, therefore, to accept it, and they returned to the court in peace. Oh, ain't that nice? Give them gold and silver, and uh, apparently it solves everything. If only life were that, bloody conservatives think so, don't they? Anyway, um... <laughs> Then the pavilions and the tents were set in order after the fashion of a hall, and they went to meet. And as, as they had sat at the beginning of the feast, so they sat here. And Mathwalloch and Bendigrid Ran began to discourse. And behold, it seemed Bendigrid Ran, while they talked, that Mathwalloch was not so cheerful as he had been before. And he thought that the tutor might be sad, because of the smallness of the atonement which he had, for the wrong that had been done to him. Oh, man! said Bendigrid Bran, thou dost not discourse to-night so cheerfully as thou wast wont. And if it be because of the smallness of the atonement, thou shalt add thereunto whatsoever thou mayest choose, and to-morrow I will pay thee the horses. Lord, said he, heaven reward thee. And I will enhance the atonement, said Bendigrid Bran, for I will give unto thee a cauldron, the property of which is that if one of thy men is to be slain to-day, and be cast therein to-morrow, he will be as well as ever he was at the best, except that he will not regain his speech. And thereupon he gave him great thanks, and very joyful was he for that cause. 
so he's going to give uh, Matholok a uh, cauldron that basically turns his men into zombies. <laughs> it sounds like a great idea. Nothing's ever going to go wrong out of this at all. Ever. Honestly, Governor. Governor, it's all fine. Nothing's going to go wrong. You're going to have this cover. It's going to be fucking great. You just, your men are going to die. You stick your men in it. In the morning, they'll just rise back up. They won't be able to talk, mind you. So uh, don't go getting yourself killed because then you won't be able to give orders or anything. But uh, yeah, if your men die, stick them in there. They'll come back and they'll be all quiet and silent and things. Uh, and yeah, zombies. Oh, sorry, did I say zombies? I didn't mean that. No, 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 they'll be fine. Nothing wrong with them. And the next morning, they paid Matholok the horses as long as the trained horses lasted, and then they journeyed into another comet, where they paid him with colts until the whole had been paid. And from thenceforth, that comet was called Terbolium. And a second knight sat, played together. My lord, said Matholok, whence hast thou that cauldron which thou hast given me? I had it of a man who had been in thy land, said he, and I would not give it except to one from there. Who was it? asked he. I apologise for this bit. Lasalis Givnuid. He came from, from Ireland with Kimidu Kimainvo, his wife, who escaped from the Iron House in Ireland, when it was made red hot around them, and fled hither. And it was a marvel to me that thou shouldest know nothing concerning the matter. Something I do know, said he, and as much as I know I will tell thee. One day I was hunting in Ireland, and I came to the mound at the head of the lake, which is the lake, which is called the Lake of the Cauldron, and I beheld a huge yellow-haired man coming from the lake, with a cauldron upon his back. And he was a man of vast size and of horrid aspect, and a woman followed after him. And if the man was tall, twice as large as he was the woman, and they came towards me and greeted me. Verily, asked I, wherefore are you journeying? Behold this, said he to me, is the cause that we journey. At the end of the month and a fortnight this woman will have a son. And the child that will be born at the end of the month and the fortnight will be the warrior fully armed. So I took them with me and maintained them. And they were with me for a year, and that year I had them with me not grudgingly. But henceforth was the murmuring because that they were with me. For from the beginning of the fourth month they had begun to make themselves hated and to be disorderly in the land committing outrages and molesting and harassing the nobles and ladies. And thenceforward my people rose up and besought me to part with them, and they bade me to, you, to choose between them and my dominions. And I applied to the council of my country to know what should be done concerning them. For of their own free will they would not go, neither could they be compelled against their will through fighting. And the people of the country... Being in this strait, they caused a chamber to be made of all, made all of iron. Now, when the chamber was ready, there came there every smith that was in Ireland, and every one who owned tongs and hammer. And they caused coals to be piled up as high as the top of the chamber. And they had the man and the woman and their children 
served with plenty of meat and drink. But when it was known that they were drunk, they began to put the fire to the coals about the chamber, and they blew it with bellows until the house was red-hot all around them. Then there was a council held in the centre of the floor of the chamber, and the man tarried until the plates of iron were all of a white heat. And then, by reason of the great heat, the man dashed against the plates with his shoulder and struck them out, and his wife followed. But except him and his wife, none escaped hence. And then, I suppose, Lord, said Muthwallock unto Bendigridran, that he came over unto thee. Mm, doubtless he came here, said he, and gave unto me the cauldron. In what manner didst thou receive him? I dispersed them through every part of my dominions, and they have become numerous and prospering everywhere, and they fortify the places where there are men and arms of the best that were ever seen. So basically, this couple, who were quite large, came asking for some help, um, because his wife was about to have children. They just managed to crawl out of a lake, when they had a cauldron on their back, which was all a bit weird. Uh, so you gave them some help, but then they were utter bastards, and you couldn't get rid of them, so you tried to burn them alive in a hot room. Not surprised they tried to escape. And they seem to be getting on quite well in Wales, so um, maybe they just don't like the Irish. Don't know why. The Irish are quite nice. Better than the English. That night, that night, they continued to discourse as much as they would. And minstrelously and carousing, and when it was more pleasant to them to sleep than to sit together, they went to rest. And thus was the banquet carried on with joyousness, and when it was finished, Matholoc journeyed towards Ireland, and Branwen with him. And they went from Abermene with thirteen ships, and came to Ireland. And in Ireland there was great joy because of their coming, and not one great man or noble lady visited Branwen unto whom she gave not either a clasp or a ring, or a royal jewel, jewel to keep, such as it was honourable to be seen departing with. And in these things she spent that year in much renown, as she had passed her time pleasantly, enjoying, enjoying honour and friendship. And in the meanwhile, it chanced that she became pregnant. And in due time a son was born unto her, and the name they gave him was Gwern, the son of Mothwallock. And they put the boy out to be a foster nurse in a place where the best men of Ireland. And behold, in the second year a tumult arose in Ireland, on account of the insult which Mothwallock had received in Cambria, and the payment made him for his horses. And his foster brothers and such as were nearest unto him blamed him openly for that matter. And he might have no peace by reason of the tumult until they should revenge upon him this disgrace. And that vengeance which they took was to drive away Branwen from the same chamber with him, and to make a cook to the court. And they caused the butcher, after he had cut up the meat, to come to her and give her every day a blow to the ear. And such they made her punishment. Again, punch in the head by a butcher every day for a year. That sounds really fucking mean does mean she's probably going to be able to take a punch by the end of this. So just don't teach her how to actually throw a punch because she might punch you back, Mr. Butcher, because you're an ass, And so are the people who are basically saying it's her fault. All this bad shit happened that they didn't get the horses they wanted to. But they got a load of horses anyway, and a load of gold, and a load of silver, and a big cauldron that raises you from the dead. Fuck, what does it take to please these people? Verily, Lord, said his men to Matholoc, 
forbid now the ships and the ferry boats and the coracles that they go not into Cambria, and such as come from over from Cambria hither, imprison them that they go not back from this thing to be known here. And he did so, and it was thus for not less than three years. So he didn't go back to Wales, and anybody who came from Wales was just locked up because they came from Wales. I thought it was the English and the Irish who hated each other, not the Irish and the Welsh. I thought the Irish and the Welsh got on, but apparently not. And Branwyn reared a starling in the cover of the kneading trough, and she taught it to speak, and she taught the bird what manner of man her brother was, and she wrote a letter of her woes, and the despite with which she was treated, and she bound the leather to the root of the bird's wing, and sent it towards Britain. And the bird came to this island, and one day it found Bendigrid Ran at Kyr in Arvon, conferring there, and it alighted upon his shoulder, and ruffled its feathers, so that the letter was seen, and they knew that the bird had been reared in a domestic manner. So, in her imprisonment, the girl is learning to take a punch, and she is also being really, really clever, and teaching a little bird to, to understand her. Well, I think this girl deserves some credit. Then Bendigridran took the letter and looked upon it, and when he read the letter he grieved exceedingly at the tidings of Branwyn's woes, and immediately he began sending messages to summon the island together, and he caused seven score and four countries to come to him, and he complained to them himself of the grief that his sister endured. So they took counsel, and the council they resolved to go to Ireland, and to leave seven men as princes here, and Caradoc, the son of Bran, as the chief of them, and their seven knights. In Edenian were these men left, and for this reason were the seven knights placed in the town. Now the names of these seven men were Caradoc, the son of Bran, and Hevidhir, and Unichlad Isquid, and Idic, the son of Anarach, and Fordor, the son of Ervil, and Wilk Minasquin, and Lassir, the son of Lesir Lesquid and Pendar and Divid, as a young page with them. And Pendar and Divid, you might remember. And these abode as seven ministers to take charge of the island, and Caradoc, the son of Bran, was chief amongst them. Oh, why do you have to put so many names next to each other of things I can't pronounce? One day I'm going to take some Welsh lessons just so I can actually read these names. It's all right when you're reading a book and you're sat at home, because you can say them in your head and it sounds all right as soon as you start trying to speak the damn things, especially when you've got a mild speech impediment around R's and W's. What goes a bit wrong, considering half these things are full of R's and W's. And yeah, I know they're not all meant to be pronounced like that, but I don't know how they're meant to be pronounced, so leave me alone. Bendigrid Van, with the host of which we spoke, sailed towards Ireland. And it was not far across the sea, and he came to shoal water. It was caused by two rivers, the Lee and the Arcan, were they called, and the nations covered the sea. Then they proceeded with what provisions he had on his own back, and approached the shore of Ireland. Now the swineherds of Mathwalloc were upon the seashore, and they came to Mathwalloc. Lord, said they, greeting be unto thee. Heaven protect you, said he. Have you any news? Lord, said they, we have marvellous news. A wood have we seen upon the sea, in a place where we never yet saw a single tree. 
This indeed is a marvel, said he. Saw you out else? We saw, Lord, said they, a vast mountain beside the wood, which moved, and there was a lofty ridge upon the top of the mountain, and a lake on each side of the ridge, and the wood and the mountain, and all these things moved. Verily, said he, there is none who can know out concerning this, unless it be Branwen. Mm. Slightly reminiscent of um, the moving wood in Macbeth there, I feel. Is there the same ominous feeling here? Messages then went unto Branwen. Lady, said they, what thinkest thou that this is? The men of the island of the mighty, who have come hither on hearing on my ill-treatment and my woes. What is the forest that is seen upon the sea? asked they. The yards and the masts of ships, she answered. Alas, said they, what is the mountain that is seen by the sides of the ships? <laughs> Bendigid ran, my brother, she replied, coming to shoal water. There is no ship that can, that can contain him in it. And I've just realised I've been calling Branwen bloody daughter all through this. No, she's not. She's his bloody sister. I apologise. I've ballsed up half of this bloody story. Yeah, Branwen is actually Bendigrid's sister. I'm just getting confused. This is why I should plan these things a bit better beforehand. Oh, well. Still a great story, though. Doesn't really matter. She's still being mistreated by fuckheads now i've lost where i am we'll start back at bendigrid van my brother she replied coming to shoal water there is no ship that cannot contain him in it what is the lofty ridge with the lake on each side thereof <laughs> on looking towards the island he is wroth and his two eyes one on each side of his nose and the two lakes beside the ridge so you get the feeling here that uh Bendigrid Ran has suddenly massively grown. But if we remember back to the early points, he had to sit in a tent because no no building would hold him. So maybe he was big anyway and massive. Uh, and well, well, is he a giant? Who knows? We've not heard it yet. Anyway, so uh, where are we? The warriors and the chief men of Ireland were brought together in haste, and they took counsel. Lord, Lord, said the nobles unto Mathwalloch, there is no other counsel than to the than to retreat over the Linnon, a river which is in Ireland. And, and it actually says that in brackets in the, in the text. Um, it just sounds a bit weird, so I'm just going to tell you that, yeah, Linnon, a river which is in Ireland. And to keep the river between thee and him, and to break down the bridges that is across the river, for there is a lodestone at the bottom of the river that neither ship nor vessel can pass over. So they retreated across the river and broke down the bridge. I'm guessing they all kind of, like, last people going across the bridge were backing up backwards, like, with massive hammers just kind of knocking it down as they were going. Like a weird retreat. Opposite of speed building. Walking backwards, destroying things. Speed destroying. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> Bendigrid Ran came to land, and the fleet with him by the bank of the river. 
Lord, said his chieftains, knowest thou the nature of this river, that nothing can go across it, and there is no bridge over it? What? said they. Is thy counsel concerning a bridge? There is none, said he, except he who will be chief, let him be a bridge, and I will be so, said he. And then was that saying first uttered, and it is still used as a proverb, and... When he had lain down across the river, hurdles were placed upon him, and the host passed over by. So, first of all, he, he can't live in a house, so they built tents for him. Then he kind of has a mass, his, his head's basically a mountain through the river, and now through the seas, and he's basically walking across the sea. And now he can lie across a river and have his entire army walk across his back. This dude's epic. Or just really, really big. All his men are really small. Hmm. Do you reckon the Welsh people are like just like really small people instead? Although then and the river's like really small, but then how's his head? Oh, I don't know. There was an idea there, and it kind of fell down when I thought he had to cross the the river, uh, the sea, and it's like no, he's got to be big. Bit of Gulliver's travels here, I feel. Right, moving on to some easy living now. I finished the five oh five. And as he rose up, behold, the messengers of Mothwalak came to him, and saluted him, and gave him greeting in the name of Mothwalak, his kinsman, and showed how that of his goodwill he had merited of him nothing but good. For Mothwalak has given the kingdom of Ireland to Gwern, the son of Mothwalak, thy nephew and thy sister's son, and this he places before thee as a compensation for the wrong, and despite that has been done unto Branwyn. And Mothalak shall be maintained wheresoever thou wilt, either here or in the islands of the mighty, said Brandigard Wren. Shall not I myself have the kingdom? Then, peradventure, I may take counsel concerning your passage. From this time until then no other answer will you get from me. Verily, said they, the best message that we receive for thee, will we will convey it unto thee. And do thou await our message unto him? I will wait, answered he, and do you return quickly. The messengers set forth and came to Mathwalak. Lord, said they, prepare a better message for Brendigid Bran. He will not listen at all to the messages that we bore him. My friends, said Mathwalak, what may be your counsel? Lord, said they, there is no other counsel than this alone. He was never known to be within a house, and therefore a house that will contain him, and the men of the island of the mighty on the one side, and thyself and thy host on the other, and give over thy kingdom to his will, and do him homage. For by reason of the honour thou doest him in making him a house, whereas he never before had a house to contain him, he will make peace with thee. So the messengers went back to Bendigid Ran, bearing them this message. So again, we've got this big fuck-off house that's going to be apparently be built, because apparently he can't fit in a house. So is he a giant? Is he not? Or is his just ego really fucking big? Anyway, and he took counsel, and in the council it was resolved that he should accept this. And this was all done by the advice of Branwen, unless the country should be destroyed. And this peace was made, and the house was built both vast and strong, but the Irish planned a crafty device. 
and the craft was that they should put brackets on each of the hundred pillars that were in the house, and should place a leathern bag on each bracket, and an armed man in every one of them. <laughs> I imagine as they're kind of planning this out, they're all kind of sat around a small table, like a candle in, in like a really dark room, going, you know what, we're building this great house, but what we'll do, rather than like build trapdoors or anything like that, because that's kind of a bit like been done over, Everyone's kind of been doing that. What we'll do, we'll stick some hooks on the, on the side of the house. And we'll just hang some bags on the side of it. Nobody will notice them. In those bags, we'll put our best men under them. And uh, yeah, it'll be a great little trick. Nobody will notice it. We'll all be fine. Don't need to hide them anyway. Just stick them in bags on the side, on the pillars. It'll all be fine. <laughs> and I'm kind of giggling like that. Because, yes. What they didn't count for, though, however, was this fuck not to return. Then, Evanishing came in before the host of the Island of the Mighty and scanned the house with a fierce and savage looks, and described the leather bags which were around the pillars. What is in this bag? asked he of one of the Irish. Meal, good soul, said he, and Evanishing felt about it until he came to the man's head. And he squeezed, until he felt his fingers meet together in the brain through the bone. And he left that one, and he put his hand upon another, and asked what was therein. Meal, said the Irishman. So he did the like unto every one of them until he had not left one alive of all the two hundred men save only one and when he came to him he asked what was there meal good soul said the irishman and he felt until he felt the head and he squeezed that head as he had done the others and albeit he found that the head of this one was armed he left him not until he had killed him and then he sang an England. There is in this bag a different sort of meal. The ready combatant with the assault is made by his fellow warriors prepared for battle. I squish your head. Is it what I actually imagine him saying? I squish your head. Points and prizes for anybody who guesses where that comes from. I crush your head. You need to see the actions that I'm doing. I'm like trying to squish someone's head. Not crazy, honest. Thereupon, the host came unto the house. The men of Ireland of Ireland, the men of the island of Ireland, entered the house on one side, and the men of the island of the mighty on the other. And as soon as they had sat down, there was concord between them, and the sovereignty was conferred upon the boy. When the peace was concluded, Bendigrid Ran called the boy unto him. And from Benuid ran, the boy went unto Manawiddin, and uh, he was beloved by all that beheld him. And from Manawiddin, the boy was called by Nisian, the son of Yusuid, and the boy went unto him lovingly. Wherefore, said Evanisian, comes not my nephew, the son of my sister, unto me? Though he were not king of Ireland, yet willingly would I fondle the boy. Remember, this is old English, not, not, don't, don't take that the wrong way, please. Uh, 
Cheerfully, let him go to thee, said Bendigivran, and the boy went unto him cheerily. By my confession to heaven, said Evanitian in his heart, unthought of by the household in this slaughter that I will this instant commit. Uh, you've already committed slaughter in that household, you dumb fuck. Um, you see what I mean? He's like, he killed a load, he did a nasty load of stuff to horses, then he killed a load of Irishmen to kind of stop his brother's and his men being killed, and now he's talking about slaughtering in front of a small child. Evanition has a weird, weird way of thinking. Then he rose and took the boy by the feet, and before anyone in the house could seize hold of him, he thrust the boy headlong into the blazing fire. And when Branwen saw her son burning in the fire, she strove to leap into the fire also, from the place where she sat between her two brothers. But Bendigidran grasped her with one hand and his shield in the other. Then they all hurried about the house, and never was there made so great a tumult by any host in one house as was made by them, as each man armed himself. Then Mordi... Oh, another, uh, here's another fun name that I'm not going to be able to pronounce. The gadflies of Mordetwillian's cow. And while they all sought their arms, Bendigidran supported Branwyn between his shield and his shoulder. Evanician, why? Just, just, just why? Do you, and why do you just keep throwing random people into this as well, whoever wrote this originally, with weird names that I can't pronounce? Also, note in the comments, anybody like this Evanician bloke? He's a bit of an arse. So, by this count, he's killed 200 Irishmen, uh, possibly a small boy by throwing him into the fire, and dismembered a load of horses. Uh, all because he's an angry young man. There's no real reason for any of what he does, I suppose. He's just a bit odd. Then the Irish kindled a fire under the cauldron of renovation. Yeah, that cauldron that was given to them by uh, um earlier. So, And the one that he got from the possible giant that this guy set fire to. And they cast the dead bodies into the cauldron until it was fun. Full. Until it was fun? <laughs> Probably a little party. I'm just imagining like skeletons now dancing around. Proper rave in the graveyard. What do you get if you remove the G from grave? A graveyard! Woo! Dad joke. <laughs> no. <laughs> so they tossed the bodies into the cauldron until it was full. And the next day they came forth fighting men as good as before. Except they were not able to speak. Then, when Evanician saw the dead bodies of the men of the island of the mighty, nowhere resuscitated, he said in his heart, Alas, woe is me, that I should have been the cause of bringing the men of the island of the mighty into so great a strait. Evil betide me, if I find not a deliverance therefore. And he cast himself among the dead bodies of the Irish. And two unshod Irishmen came unto him, and taking him to one of the Irish, flung him into the cauldron. And he stretched himself out in the cauldron, so that he rent the cauldron into four pieces, and burst his own heart also. So, you're, you're okay dismembering horses, you're okay squishing people's heads in bags, you're okay burning your own sister's son in fire. But as soon as you realise you, you fucked up and, and, and your side is going to lose... That's when you try and look see. Evanition, you're fucking weird. 
In consequence of that, the men of the island of the mighty obtained such success as they had, but they were not victorious, for only seven men of them all escaped, and Bendigridvan himself was wounded in the foot with a poisoned dart. Now the seven men that escaped were, ready for the fuck-up of the names, Prideri, Manadwidden, Glunei Eiltaran, Telsin, Enoch, Gwydin, the son of Muriel, and Halin, the son of Gwynhen. And Bendigrid Vran commanded them that they should cut off his head. And take you my head, he said, and bear it even unto the White Mount in London, and bury it there with the face towards France. And a long time will you be upon the road. In Harlech you will be feasting seven years, the birds of Rhiannon singing unto you the while unto you the while, and all the time the head will be to you as pleasant company as it ever was when on my body. Under quails in Penvro you'll be for score years, and you may remain there, and the head with you uncorrupted, until you open the door that looks towards Aberhenvelen and towards Cornwall. And after you have opened that door, there you may no longer tarry. Set forth then unto London to bury my head and go straight forward. So now they're going to chop off a head and have a zombie head. Yay! More zombies! Who doesn't like a good zombie? Uh, honestly, me, I get bored of zombies. And I'm so fed up of just seeing everything's about zombies. All these big horror, Hollywood horror flicks are about zombies. Can we have, can we have something different, please? Something interesting. I don't know. Bring back werewolves. I know. Let's have a werewolf in Scotland and call it the Wolver in Edinburgh and have the Wolver come up and just ask for fish off people. That'd be interesting. <laughs> or not. But still. Um, so, they cut off his head and the seven went forward wherewith, and Branwyn was the eighth with them, and they came to land at Aberalwil in Telbolion, and they sat down to rest, and Branwyn looked towards Ireland and towards the Island of the Mighty, to see if she could descry them. Alas, she said, Woe is me that I was ever born. Two islands have been destroyed because of me. Then she uttered a loud groan, and there broke her heart. And they made her a four-sided grave, and buried her upon the banks of the Alor. Um, I thought all graves were four-sided. Oh well. Also, it wasn't your fault, Bronwyn. You you didn't cause this. It was nothing to do with you. You just did what you were told. You you married Mathwalloch like you were told by your brother, Bendigrid Ran, uh, and, and, and you were a good wife. And then the Irish people decided that you weren't be a good wife because your brother, the Faulkner Evanician, uh, killed a load of horses. And and it's all Evanician's fault. It's got nothing to do with you. Don't blame yourself. Blame your Faulkner brothers. So um, I really feel sorry for Bramwyn in this story. She gets a raw deal um, and then blames herself because, uh, yeah, because it's always the woman's fault. No, it's not. Stop being so sexist, you fucking folklorists. Then the seven men journeyed towards Harlech, bearing the head with them. And as they went, behold, there met a multitude of men and of women. Have you any tidings? asked Manor Widden. We have none, said they, save that Caswalwen and the son of Beli has conquered the island of Mighty and is crowned king in London. 
What has become, said they, of Caradorc, the son of Bran, and the seven men who were left with him in this island? Caswalen came upon them, and slew six of the men, and Caradoc's heart broke for the grief thereof, for he could see the sword that slew the men, but knew not who it was that wielded. Caswalen had flung upon him the veil of illusion, so that no one could see him slay the men, but the sword only could they see, and it liked him not to slay Caradoc, because he was his nephew and the son of his cousin. And now he was the third whose heart had broke through grief. Pendar and Divid, who had remained a young page with these men, escaped into the wood, said they. Uh, so all these, these six men whose name I can't pronounce were killed by uh, uh, a dancing sword. Where are we now? We're near the end now. It's not that much longer. So, um, sorry, as I say, this has been a long one. <laughs> It'll, it'll probably be reaching about an hour by the time I'm done with the editing and stuff. So, uh, Where are we? Then they went unto Harlech, and there they stopped to rest. And they provided meat and liquor, and sat down to eat and drink. And there came three birds, and began singing unto them a certain song. And all the songs they had ever heard were unpleasant compared thereto. And the birds seemed to them to be at a great distance from them over the sea. Yet? They appeared as distinct as if they were close by, and at this repast they continued for seven years. And at the close of the seventh year they went forth to Gwales in Penfro, and there they found a fair and regal spot overlooking the ocean, and a spacious hall was therein. And they went into the hall, and two of its doors were open, but the third door was closed, that which looked towards Cornwall. See yonder, said Manawhiden, is the door that we may not open. And that night they regaled themselves and were joyful, and of all they had seen and food laid before them, and of all they had heard of, they had remembered nothing, neither of that nor of any sorrow whatsoever. And there they remained fourscore years unconscious of ever having spent a time more joyous and mirthful, and they were not more weary than when they first came there. Neither did they, any of them, know the time they had been there. And it was not more irksome to them having the head with them than if Bendigrid Vran had been there himself. And because of these fourscore years, it was called the Entertaining of the Noble Head. The entertaining of Branwyn and Urtholoc was in the time they had went to Ireland. What a brilliant name, the entertaining of the noble head. So they spent a load of time talking to a head. Pissed out of their face by the sounds of it. Noble brothers. Hmm. See. And one day Helin, the son of Gwyn, evil betide me. If I do not open the door to know if that is true which is said concerning it. So he opened the door and looked towards Cornwall and Aberhenvelen. And when they had looked, they were as conscious of all the evils that had ever they had ever sustained, and of all the friends and companions they had lost, and all the misery that had befallen them, as if all had happened in the very spot, and especially of the fate of their lord. 
and because of their perturbation they could not rest, but journeyed forth with the head towards London, and they buried the head in the White Mount. And when it was buried, this was a third goodly concealment, and it was with the third ill-fated disclosure, when it was disinterned in so much... Inasmuch as no invasion from across the sea came to this island while the head was in that concealment. And it's kind of true because uh, we've not technically been invaded, I think, since 1066 in England. So um, maybe his head is still buried in the White Mount. But it's not exactly a happy ending. It's like they're all joyful and getting pissed up in this hall. And then suddenly they realise, oh my fucking God, what have we done? And all this bad shit has happened to us. Let's go bury this head. And yeah, and this is the story related to those who journeyed over from Ireland. In Ireland, none were left alive except five pregnant women in a cave in the Irish wilderness. And to those five women in the same night were born five sons, whom they nursed until they became grown-up youths, and they thought about wives. And they at the same time desired to possess them, and each took a wife of their mothers of their companions, and they governed the country and peopled it. That's going to lead to inbreeding. And these five divided it amongst them. And because of this partition are the five divisions of Ireland still so termed. And they examined the land where the battles had taken place. And they found gold and silver until they became wealthy. And thus ends this portion of the Mabinogion concerning the blow given to Branwen, which was the third unhappy blow of this island, and concerning the entertainment of Bran. When the hosts of seven score countries and ten went over to Ireland to revenge the blow given to Brunwen, and concerning the seven years' banquet in Harlech, and the singing of the birds of Rhiannon, and the journeying of the head for the space of four score years. Yep, and that's the end of the second branch of the Mabinogion, and it's a bit fucking weird, but isn't it fucking amazing? Love it. Um... Not too sure on that whole ending about Ireland and how it fits in with the Irish mythology of where Ireland comes from. Because it doesn't. But still. But it's nice that it, you kind of see in connections here um, with with Bran and with Rhiannon in there and, and things and the other kind of tales within the Mabinogion. And you've got Pendarren Divid as well in there. So and there's a bit of crossover. The... um. The actual book, the Mabby, is not done in a sequential order. It's just kind of like tales thrown together. And there are connections through the people in them to some extent. But they're not done in a kind of chronological order. So um, I think if you're going to do it chronologically, I think this would probably be one of the first ones in there because of the whole Pendarren stuff going on. But anyway, uh, yeah, so that is... I think that's probably my favourite... Um, branch of the Mabby. Um, it's a bit of a long one. It's a bit of a weird one. But um, like Sean says of um, Celtic Myths and Legend, I would love someone to actually make a Netflix series of of the Mabby, like a high budget thing. So it's like kind of maybe either you do the four branches each as one off episodes, or you do the seven the seven branches or however many, or the nine, depending on how you look at it, um, and do them all as just kind of like one-off extended episodes with high-budget stuff. Because could you imagine that that story done as a, a high-budget high Netflix thing? That would be friggin' amazing! Anyway, uh, so that's the end of that, that story. Uh, next episode, 
I would, I'm thinking I was thinking about taking a break over August, but I don't think I will. Um, I think I'll just keep going um, because I want to do my soul brother of folklore, um, the pissed monk of York. Um, I want to talk about and tell you the story of Brother Jacundus, and maybe find some other pissed monk stories to relate to it. Um, Brother Jacundus is like my folklore soul brother. Drunk, partying, fun time priest. Well, except the priest bit, um, or the monk bit, sorry, I should say. Um, that's not really my cup of tea, but the way that he lived his life um, is brilliant. I love it. It's also a great story. Um, he may or may not be a ghost. So... Uh, yeah, uh, look forward to that in two weeks' time or so. Um, I might only do one episode in August. I've got some friends visiting towards the end of August, so I might not actually have time to do uh, an episode then. Or I might pre-record it. You don't know. We'll see how things go. But yeah, so anyway, so that's the end of that. Um, you can follow me on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and rate and leave comments around and share it around on the social medias if you want. There is rumours that Apple Podcasts are going to start charging people to listen to their podcasts. Uh, I don't know how this is going to work. Um, my content will always be free. I don't have a Patreon. I don't have enough people listening to this podcast to make it worthwhile having a Patreon. So there's that. But even if I did have a Patreon, it probably wouldn't be anything special. Um, I might set up a coffee um, so you can buy me coffees because I like coffee as well as beer. Um, but yeah, so um, you can find me on Spotify, Apple and all other good podcast places um, and share me around on the socials uh, so you can promote this thing. Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at The Drunken Store 1. I'm on Facebook as The Drunken Storyteller uh, and you can email me at thedrunkenstorytelleruk at gmail.com. All these are going to be in the, the description below. And you can send me suggestions and topics to cover and talk about. Um, I'm really shit at social media. So um, do forgive me on that one. Um, you can also go check me out over on my other podcast, which is Darker Days Radio, where we talk about horror-themed RPGs, mainly set in the world and chronicles of darkness, and sometimes Warhammer RPGs. Um, and so there we go. That is the end of episode 20. I can't believe I've actually made it this far. So, well... The, the the tiny rebel has run dry. I have a little bit more beer left over for the editing. And this is where the fun starts. So, um, all that is left for me to say is thank you. And goodbye, my friends. <laughs>